Welcome back to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're here with Dr. Kimberly Andrews of the University of Georgia and the Jekyll Island Authority, and we're talking about the subject of our December cover story, which is snake management on golf courses. And Dr. Andrews does a lot of work with uh, all types of reptiles in the southeast. So first thing, Dr. Andrews, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. There are obviously a, a lot of myths out there about, about snakes. Just separate some of the, the myths from the reality of dealing with them and some of the things people, people might see. I think the greatest misunderstanding is the actual threat of snakes. And people spend quite a bit of time worrying about whether they're, they're going to die from a, a snake bite. And it's, it's not like a, a B-rated horror movie or, or snakes on a plane. Um, you're actually more likely to die. You're four times more likely to die from an injury from taking a selfie and not paying attention to what you're doing, and you're actually more likely to die from turning a vending machine over on yourself than you are from a venomous snake bite in North America. That's interesting. So for somebody that works on a golf course, besides not taking a selfie when they, when they encounter a snake, what are, what are some things that they should do when they encounter a snake and might not know what type of species it is? Well, I think in general, the, the basic rule of thumb, be it on a golf course or a backyard or even walking through the middle of the woods, is simply to watch where you're putting your hands and feet. And that's a general general rule of thumb for any animals, whether it be stinging insects or bees or even an uncomfortable thorny bush. And it's, it's really easy to do. It's just part of being aware of your surroundings. It's also better to be aware of your surroundings while you're in nature because you get to observe a lot of really cool things. Really, it's the same equivalent as looking both ways before you cross a road. People don't hesitate to do that and they should always look where they put their hands and feet in, in, in nature. Um, the majority of venomous snake bites are actually self-inflicted from people picking up the animals or from doing something they shouldn't. But the, the number of bites that are illegitimate, those ones that happen the person was not doing anything wrong, the classic situation in the southeast is somebody accidentally stepping on a copperhead when walking through the woods just simply being aware of, of where you're at. And if you're walking through the woods in the southeast, don't wear flip-flops. Wear closed-toed shoes. What parts of a golf course would somebody commonly find a venomous snake? Most frequently, venomous snakes are found around habitat edges, so right there around those pieces of forest. Um, we usually see them, I would say, within 25 to 50 feet of the forest edge. And the reason why we find them there is because venomous snakes eat small mammals exclusively. That's also why they're a really important predator ecologically. So if people don't like snakes, then that's fine. Leave them alone because they probably also don't like rats in their house. And that's why we have a lot of rats in urban areas because we remove these snakes that situate themselves along habitat edges and mammals use that habitat edge to move, and so snakes forage along those edges. But they are so incredibly cryptic. A lot of them actually get below the leaf litter and they hide, and so they're really difficult to, to see. And we know from radio tracking them that, that you can stand right next to these animals, and they really don't do anything. Most frequently, they don't even even rattle. That's another misperception that's, that rattlesnakes will always rattle when you stand next to them, and they don't. And there's no people don't need to be concerned about them not giving that warning sign because we, don't, we also don't see them strike. 
So their goal is to hide. Their goal is to hide so that their prey don't see them, but their goal is to hide so that predators don't see them either. And we are huge in comparison to rattlesnakes. Even our biggest rattlesnake, six feet long, is still so small in comparison to us. It's got no arms and legs, which makes it a terrible fighter. So the idea is, if you go to play hide-and-go-seek with your friend and you hide in the closet and they walk past the closet door and they don't know you're in there, you don't yell out because your hiding plan worked. And that's the primary defensive behavior that we see with rattlesnakes. It's incredibly effective. What type of uh, training do you recommend for somebody like a, a golf course superintendent for his or her employees? What are some things maybe somebody can do to educate their staff about what they might encounter out there? Sure, I appreciate you bringing that up. We actually find that to be very important for people that work outdoors. Um, we do staff training here on, on Jekyll Island. We've developed staff training for um, folks at UGA, at Savannah River Ecology Lab. And people that work outside in the southeast that know snakes are abundant ha tend to have a, a huge fear of them. And when you educate them, not only do you reduce that risk, but since that risk is already so low, what we see is that people then work more comfortably in their environment because they're aware. So the primary things that we provide in that training are basic snake identification. We talk about snake diversity. One of the things that's incredible about the, the southeastern United States, we have over 40 species of snakes in, um, in South Carolina and Georgia, and only six of those are venomous. So explaining to them, one, this is, this is a really cool thing in terms of biodiversity. Venomous snakes are actually among the minority, not just in terms of the number of species, but also in terms of abundance. The most abundant species are things like rat snakes and racers and non-venomous animals. So letting them know up front what the ratios are that they're dealing with, but teaching them specifically how to identify those venomous snakes. We teach them what those six species look like. The rules about elliptical pupils, triangular head, behavior, none of those hold. There is no golden rule with snake identification. But in our area, since there's just six, you can learn those directly pretty easily, and they all have unique characteristics. And, and then we go through the due process of should you encounter a snake, who do you contact, we're here as a resource, and if that encounter does lead to a bite or a situation where you're concerned about your safety, here's how you handle that situation. Yeah, in the rare instance that a bite occurs, what are some guidelines that, that should be followed immediately after the bite happens? Well, and that's another area where there's missed the, the old ideas of tourniquets, um, you don't do that. Uh, again, our, our rattlesnakes and our venomous snakes all eat small mammals. The largest thing that any of our venomous snakes consume is a rabbit, and we're a lot bigger than a rabbit. Their venom is designed to kill something rabbit size or smaller. So when you use a tourniquet, what you've done is you've just quarantined that venom in a part of your body that's more rabbit sized. So we want actually for people just to let it circulate and dilute. You do need to go to the hospital. You know, venomous snake bites can be serious, and while mortality or while death is incredibly infrequent, we don't want there to be any permanent damage. You want to reduce the risk of someone even losing a finger or even having nerve, nerve damage. It's a simple inconvenience. 
The majority of our bites are inflicted by copperheads, and very frequently, if those are treated properly, they barely even leave a scar, if that. Again, it's something to avoid, but the, the danger is, is not as pronounced as it's expected to be. Where you can employ lo local resources, if you do have a herpetologist in the area that is trained in treating venomous snake bites, it's valuable for them to be on call and go to the hospital with you. Where something like that does not exist, as it is somewhat of a rarity to have a venomous snake bite expert in your county, ask when you get to the emergency room, ask to have a doctor treat you that has experience in venomous snake bites. All of the bites from our pit vipers, which are our copperheads, cottonmouths, and rattlesnakes, they're all treated the same. So the idea of you need to kill the snake and bring it in with you, don't. That's just forcing encounter with an animal that's already upset with you. If you can take a picture, sure. We also recommend that people take a Sharpie or some sort of pen and circle where the bite mark is because you're going to have swelling and it's going to be difficult to see where that bite mark is and also to write on, on that part of your body what time the bite was incurred. It's pretty infrequent for people to lose consciousness, but in the event that you do and you're alone, that's going to allow the doctor to see what that, that, how much time has passed and provide context for interpreting what symptoms you're, he or she's observing. In addition to doing a lot of research with snakes, Dr. Andrews also works a lot with alligators. Just to end the podcast here, what are some things somebody on a golf course should be on the lookout for in regards to alligators and what should someone do if they do encounter an alligator on a golf course? Okay, most of the time when people see um, animals, alligator, snakes, or you know, even raccoon or fox, it's because they're on the move across the open green area and the best thing to do is just stand back and give them their space. If it's an animal that's a potentially dangerous animal that you don't want to have an interaction with like an alligator, just stand back. You want it to be out of the way, and it's doing that on its own. It's on the move. People also see alligators frequently while they're basking, and we've actually done studies to look at how they respond when we go to approach them, and the myth that they will chase you and you need to run zigzag and all of, all of that baloney, it's, it's not the case. Alligators either frequently sit there and, again, just want to have their space, or they'll actually move into the water and flee away from you. People see that a lot when they're trying to get pictures, and alligators will, you know, again, move when they're, they're still at a substantial distance. If there is a, a cause for concern, contact someone on the golf course and ask who needs to be contacted. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about how this alligator is behaving and should it be reported. Well, this is all excellent information. Where can somebody go to learn more about the reptiles you and your team study? We have a Facebook page and a web page. We're called the Applied Wildlife Conservation Lab, and we have information there. There are incredible identification resources through the UGA Savannah River Ecology Lab site. We have pictures and descriptions and range maps for all the species of reptiles and amphibians in South Carolina and Georgia. And we additionally have pages on how to be safe around snakes and how to be safe around alligators. And as a backyard reference, we're particularly big fans of the, the Southeastern series 
the University of Georgia Press put out. So there's a Snakes of the Southeast, actually, that was just reprinted, Turtles of the Southeast, Lizards and Crocodilians. And these are great backyard guides, things that people can can put on their coffee table when they see something in the yard. And we also use them as, as experts. So those are, those are a fantastic go-to as well. Um, we also have contact information for emails, phone numbers through that Apply Wildlife Conservation Lab site. And we encourage people from all over the country or all over the world to email us and, with a picture and ask for identification. Our phone number's on there. People are, are welcome to, um, to give us a call. And then there's a, a Facebook page with a conglomeration of snake experts where people can post pictures and um, have that snake identified. So that information to, for identification skills and other resources on these animals has really increased, and it's more at people's fingertips now than ever. Well, thanks for joining us, Dr. Andrews, and I, I think what you just told us may stop a lot of nightmares. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm always happy to talk about reptiles. You've been listening to the Superintendent Radio Network, the podcast of Golf Course Industry Magazine, a production of GIE Media. I've been your host, Guy Cipriano. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or the SRN page of golfcourseindustry.com. Talk to us at srn at gie.net or at GCI Magazine on Twitter. Thanks for listening.